We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. Let no idea grows from mewling striped cum to teeth at your throat tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jared Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. So there are a couple other characters, we'll call them, or I guess pivotal forces that were brought up. They established that death was basically an actual ragamuffin, just a weird amalgamation of clothes. Okay. That it's, from the looks of it, just adds your soul to itself. Fine. And... That's a good image. I don't really want to tweak that. I I liked it. I, I also... I think maybe there's some element we can play with where the dragons are tied to either the light as a source or didn't. I use the word dragon loosely, but if there's some thing, I would I should say in this world that allows a place to become lighter or darker on its own or some set of things. So it could be, you know, not just bioluminescent creatures and whatnot, but the a means by which they can in a small space carve out a little bit of their own, right? A little bit of light or dark. And I'm wondering if that involves maybe siphoning something off of the trains or some other mechanism. I don't think you try to answer that now. I think you establish that those things are, right? For whatever uh, value of things and are you want to go with. And if the players want an explanation, you let them go find it. So it sounds like, honestly, there's a, this is deeply exploration and investigation themed. Yes, it would be. Uh, I mean, a, a fundamental thing here, now you can, you can move on the surface of this world, you know, okay, well, it's not going so good for me in the Screaming Ravine, because, you know, why would it be, right? So I'm going to go hang out in the village for a while and wait for a train that goes somewhere else to show up. There could be a sonorous week in the Screaming Ravine. <laughs> Maybe there's some, some reason to go to the Screaming Ravine, but again, it's not a place that sounds like somewhere you should hang out. I do think there has to be like a certain adherence to the literal allegory type mechanism for naming places yeah where it's it's almost the thing it is but just not quite sure i mean probably you know it's not literally just a canyon full of horrible noise but like you know maybe it screams because it's actually a ancient mine and there's alarms going off all the time and nobody's figured out how to set the, turn them off so in a dragon age 2 there's a quest one of the characters gives you anders and he's a wizard who's been bound to a spirit that wants nothing but justice, which is a problem because spirits and mortal bodies tend to corrupt them in the setting. And he's decided that it's time to expunge the spirit from himself. So he, he begs you to go along and help him collect the components for this ritual that will allow him to you know, deal with justice. Mm-hmm. And you go to the old dwarf mines and you collect some saltpeter and you can see where this is going. And finally, as you get to the end of the quest line, you realize character in character because as a player you know where this is headed anders are you trying to like blow yourself up because you know that would clear justice out of him right that that would probably work right because you stumble upon just a massive collection of raw materials for explosives far more than he would need an aa ritual or be just for his own you know suicidal tendencies so naturally act three he just blows up the head of the church because obviously he had a lot of time and you didn't stop him but I, I loved that they just called the quest justice because it left it open-ended at first until you started to pick out it a little more and go, oh, oh, crap. <laughs> oh, I'm running the gunpowder plot for this guy. Uh, so I think that I kind of bring it up as I think that's where, or like in Dragon Age 3, there's a, a quest for a side character who's the evil witch character. And she asked for you to get the heart of a small of a wyvern to save her husband who's dying of some horrifying disease. And the quest name is Snow White and Black Hearted, because she wants the heart of a snowy wyvern. And you can get her the real one or a fake one, and her husband always dies. But it's unclear as to whether she poisoned him or tried to help him, and what you did leading to what. So I think there's this kind of, within the nomenclature of things here, there's that little bit of, or a little lot of bit of wiggle room into how things are named. Sure. Yeah, to, to the greatest possible extent, you should give things interesting names that get your attention without necessarily telling you what's going to happen. I'm with you. I think it's as an invitation for the players in a given game to add their elements of narrative to it. Sure. 
Okay, fair enough. So mechanically, yeah, right. I think you need a set of tables, kind of like the ones I was talking about for Stars Without Number, mm-hmm. or at least a set of considerations, right? Uh, is this a light or dark location? How much so? And then what options are potential within that? Right. What is here, or what lives here? Even is maybe a fine question, right? You know, you get the idea. You, you need to write. You need to write a set of those, probably about six to ten. The basic rubric I established in the Better Angels game was things to discover, run away from, or fight. That's that's three. That's a place to that's a place to start. But it's going to be a few more than that. Is what I'm getting at. Yeah, obviously there'll be more tables than that, but that's where I. Uh, well, they don't even really have to be tables. I mean, I would do it as tables for uh, just as an exercise because I find that to be helpful. But they can just be questions you have to answer. So one of the things I've always found helpful, and part of what helped me use like the tables in Perilous Wilds effectively, was to ask leading questions and take answers. So for the Better Angels, we started off every session with the adults letting them free to roam in the outsides. But before they did, they had to recite the tenets. And... The children always had to answer, what are three things they had to look out for? Things to eat, things to drink, and things they will do either to you. And it helped set the tone that the world is big and dangerous and more more than them. So really, they shouldn't fight most of the time because they shouldn't. Right. But also, survival is the paramount. Not super likely to go your way. And don't die. (laughs) Survival is the paramount. Bring back stuff that's useful for us. So, you know, go out, have fun, get our resources for the day, don't get eaten. And obviously, Tut Tut will try to keep you safe. But things like that, where I would want questions to help flavor, but then maybe even going to something like Perilous Wilds, where I would take different tables and assign them to light or dark as potentials. Yeah, you could do that. Or if not the tables, then... No, I think you could do it that way, and that would be okay. Uh, or you could try to figure out what the difference between a light mountain and a dark mountain is. So that was my second thought, which is to have have appropriate tags that connect to the varying skills of light and dark that overlay anything found in it. Yeah. I think what where this goes, though, is that what you want to do as the end product, mm-hmm. okay, any place where the characters get off the train, what you want to know when they do that is what does the place look like, broadly speaking, right? What's there uh, in terms of people and resources and threats? Okay. And how big is it? This is a tool we've used in the 5e game, and I think it might actually be effective here since it's system agnostic. We've played the quiet ear, and obviously with our group, it tends to get a little silly sometimes. It would almost have to. But the premise of the quiet ear starts off with resources and things and what diminishes and modifies them accordingly and builds up the space organically. You can play it fully seriously. Right. But you can. So... So I think it's possible where you could even invite the players you're working with on this to, okay, you're hopping on your train, let's do a session or two of even just a season, because the seasons have their own thematic elements. The winter and fall seasons are darker in general. Spring and summer are warmer and fuzzier in general. So you could do just, okay, let's do summer here and get a a sense of that location and things in it, the resources, et cetera, to then populate further with the tables well i think the point of trying to define what's in a location is to figure out how hard or not it is for the players to figure it out once they get there yeah the players are probably coming there with an objective and basically all the obstacles on the way to that objective are going to depend on the place i think you're almost looking at an arc structure that is punctuated by getting on or off the train usually but maybe you stay somewhere for a while that's definitely possible or maybe you get to somewhere and you're like oh well we're just on our way to somewhere else you don't see much of it and that's okay mm-hmm. you know like the, these are these are definite real possibilities here probably most areas that you could just sort of pass through like that uneventfully are low intensity but what happens when the only train to where you want to go that anybody is aware of leaves from burning knife mountain one of the things I like about the framework tools from Fellowship is that they're system agnostic, by and large. Obviously, they use a lot of the language you're familiar with from PBTA games and, and more indie style where they talk about moves and it's a little more narrative-based. But none of it is beholden to the systems that Fellowship runs on. So, for instance, the Horizon framework is a way of playing out or teasing a world 
that focuses on what individual characters want, things you can do to evoke or play upon that. And then to your point, there's a separate playbook for locations. And these do things like, for one, name them the city, the forest, et cetera, but then give them stats that are narrative, jungle, maze, waterlogged, frozen, inferno. So maze, for instance, anyone traveling off the path gets lost. These are iterative points to work from. There's someone in charge or something. And then I think, interestingly, for what we were talking about, there's a response level. The place is neutral to you when you arrive, but can change depending upon your actions. Yeah, okay. A baseline attitude would be a very interesting thing to append to. Because then you have the light and dark, which is not controlled by the characters, but then you have the reactions or the area's reaction to you, which is based off of what they do. There's the thing that is set and the thing they can move, and how those two interact in the given place alongside of the narrative that you put there, all of which give you more narrative truths really to work with. And the playbook then gets into things you can do depending upon what the response level is. Obviously, the higher the response level, the more drastic the action. I like that because fundamentally, the, the, the way the world is, is a, is a hard control for the GM or the narrator. And giving players something else that is consequential, that also gives you concrete things to do in a moment based upon their behavior, saves you a lot of the note-taking you'd have to do otherwise, I would say. This is all good, and I think you should try to use it. I think you also want to establish a set of baseline assumptions. Yeah. So I can think of two right away. Light areas are bigger than dark areas. Sure. And the conductors are not trying to cause problems. Right. The conductors are a form of stasis. They're there to keep everything going. No, just whatever they're doing, they're not trying to make things worse. Right. Is the point. They're, right? not, they're not the moon wizards. They're not the bad guys. The train doesn't show up and an army gets off. That kind of thing. Right. So, you, for instance, if the, the big bad of a zone wanted to bother you or invite trouble in it, it wouldn't be an army popping out of the train explic- explicitly to come after you. Right. One of the SCP subsets that I really like is the uh, Hang King Oligato okay. uh, canon, right? which feels very Lovecraftian overall. Alagata is a place, okay, which is akin to, it's akin to Brigadoon or Tanalorn, except it's really bad. Right, like uh, Gina Miel's city he writes everything based off of. Right, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a city, it really exists, it doesn't exist here on Earth, it's a bad place. Yes, everything that goes there ends up worse. Right. It's definitely tenuously connected to Earth in in this canon, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's run by the Hanged King, who can't leave. Okay. All right. There's a specific, there's a, it, it, the Hanged King is not the King in Yellow, right? But this is still very similar to the King in Yellow mythos over in the Strictly Lovecraftian camp. Right. Don't bother him. Well, not only that, uh, he has a place, the King in Yellow has a city that I'm blanking on the name of that I now cannot remember, uh, which is very frustrating. <laughs> okay. It's okay but, if you did, the world would end. Carcosa. All right, Carcosa, which might or might not be a city. It might be a planet. It might be a place. Nobody really knows. That's sure. where the King in Yellow is at. Mm-hmm. All right, we know that much. Alagada is run by the Hand King. This is a fact. And it keeps finding ways through media mostly to intersect with our reality and try to promote its agenda, which appears to mostly be bring more people there so that things can be terrible for them too. <laughs> because this is, after all, out of the SCP King. All right? Sure. So there's an ambassador to Alagata who shows up in a bunch of dif- of the works that are related to this. Uh, there's a punk rock band <laughs> that is from Alagata mm-hmm. that has come to our reality to like, you know, despair and chaos that way and, and so on and so forth. It's really cool. So I think the conductor's essential lack of interest in making things worse makes anybody who would be a power in this setting operate in kind of that same way you you can't put an army on a train but you can put an ambassador on a train Mm -hmm. you can put a band on a train right you can do that kind of thing you can have a parade involving an army right you can do all kinds of weird you can have a parade in your play and see who comes to see it right and that kind of thing you know i wonder then is there some type of accord let's call it that whoever is in charge of a place has to sign with the conductors as to what they will and won't do if there is, and that would be reasonable, sure. the players don't know that. 
I would think not. It's something they, they literally to, can't know that. Yes. They'd have to at best suss out pieces of it based upon the behaviors they see. Right. They could find out about that. And maybe, you know, on a lower level, right, it's less of an accord than the conductors try to connect places that might actually have something to do with each other. Sure. Not even necessarily something positive. But they're again, they're not trying to make things worse. Right. They conduct things. They connect things. They put them back together. So if 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 this if Burning Knife Mountain is again, if we go with the it's a spaceship launch site idea, right? Sure. Everywhere that goes to Burning Knife Mountain is going to pe- be people who want to get on the spaceship, people who have something to contribute to the program, mm-hmm. people who would think the spaceship was interesting, that kind of thing. People aren't going to come there from some place where they're very concerned with God, right. unless of course they think you can get, go talk to God if you get on the spaceship. Right. In which case, hop aboard. Right. Exactly. And that's probably not an absolute rule, but that's the trend. That's 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 sort of the deal you want to establish. There's no fee for the train. Right. The tra- trains are free. Yeah. If you're there and the train hasn't left yet, you can get on the train. And importantly, importantly, there is always room on the train until there isn't. Right. The, the conductors will let you know when when they're done. Which might sound like a fiat rule, but it's a it's a necessary wiggle space to allow things to happen that couldn't otherwise. Right. Maybe the players want to get on a train. Sure. And it's there. But the train isn't leaving yet, and they don't know why. Mm-hmm. Now they have to figure out what that's about. Right. Now, again, we, don't, we haven't said the conductors literally don't communicate. <laughs> okay? So you could ask the conductor, and he, they might, the conductor might say, we're waiting for a shipment. Well, obviously what they say is we don't conduct business with your kind. Well, they can say lots of different things, although I like that. We are conducting business is actually probably their default answer when they don't want to <laughs> yeah. talk to you. Or, you know, no, I've got it. To really to really hone in how back to your, your taciturn uh, tradesperson you were working with earlier. So my former roommate, Bill, I forget what I did to him one day or said to him. But rather than respond, he yelled up a hand and said, and just, you know, asked for me to wait a moment, opened up his wallet and handed a card to me that was in very good card stock. And printed on there in calligraphy was, I refuse to dignify that with an oral response. No, I think we are conducting businesses better because it, it gives you a, a backronym for why they're called the conductors, as it sure. were. It, they're called the conductors because that's what right. they do. Because that's what they tell you if you ask them a question they don't yeah. feel like answering. We are conducting, we are conducting business. business. Yes. <laughs> a little bit of the men in black there. Right. And they'll probably answer other questions like, where does this train go? They'll mm-hmm. tell you. <laughs> right. Because that helps you get to where you want to go and then do what they need to do. Right. But sometimes they wait for stuff, and they might wait for stuff for a long time, and the train might not run for a while. Sometimes the train shows up right when everything's ready and leaves almost immediately. Right. So if you've got like some type of forty-story ice cream cake that for a giant wedding, three you know three provinces over. Right. Maybe the train isn't always the best avenue. That one probably isn't going to go so well. Which leads me to wonder: what other forms of travel are there? I think the only one, like I said, is probably going to be trying to walk the train tracks, but maybe not. I guess that's a question. Does, can you walk the train tracks because people are never run over on it? Oh, no, people it? are absolutely run over on it. Okay. Walking the tracks is definitely going to be inherently risky, okay? That was my feeling. There are probably also stations, I'm going to start calling them, Sure. that are relatively close to each other. So you could chance it. Right. Maybe they have a pretty reliable route, even when the train's not running. Mm-hmm. What that means is that probably they will eventually be one station within the metaphysical geography of this place. I think, too, the only routes outside of the trains require going into the dark if you're in the light and vice versa. Right. And that that goes back to that first suggestion I had, which sounded like it wasn't that important, but actually might be. Generally, light places are bigger than dark places. Yes. I think it's a lot easier to go from a light place to a light place than it is from a dark place to anywhere. Because they're literally and metaphysically constrained. Right. In addition to whatever things you suffer for traversing into a place that isn't kind to you by its own nature, it does in some ways kind of encourage, too, folks perhaps to have a group of people who are better acclimated to the one or the other to be able to take the lead's the wrong word there, but guide through. Because sure. uh, I, I know, I, you and I know players, they're going to want to not take the trains at some point. Well, here's an example of a potential dark one on my scale, right? Starting location. It's the company town. This is a place where there's a factory and there's a town. And the people who work in the factory live in the town. 
You can elaborate from that pretty much wherever you want, but probably whatever is going on in the factory and or the lives of the people in the town aren't great, and that's why this is Dark One. There's not a lot else to this region but factory town, whereas a Light One region is probably a town situated inside some kind of environment with accompanying you know, sublocations and so on. I think it'd be kind of hilarious if regardless of what kind of factory it is, it always produces smoke. Yeah, that's a good detail. Exactly. E- even if there's no earthly reason for fire right. or combustion. There are smokestacks. They make smoke. Yes. Even if these dudes are running a textile mill. Yes. <laughs> they, they could be drying rice. There's still smoke. Yep. There's always just constantly smog. Yes. Right. And that's one of the things that makes it obvious to the players that this is a Dark One location. Mm-hmm. But... People from the company town are necessarily less discombobulated by dark locations than people from light areas are. This this kind of suggests that if not backgrounds like you know D and D has, there's some type of where are you from is a very important question for characters in this setting. It's where are you from because that ties into your permissions and what you're acclimated to. Yeah, like if we go to the cis idea, right, where there are mythos themes which are supernatural things. And Logos themes, which are real-world things, pretty much every character generated in this setting is going to have a Logos related to where they're from. There's going to be tags that they can use based on that or something like that. So if I'm making, uh, I don't know, Varian from the company town, right? And he's a, I don't know, he's an engineer from the company town for whatever value of engineer means. Let's go with the Final Fantasy interpretation. He's a guy who uses a bunch of crazy devices to shoot things real, real thoroughly, okay? Right, Because he's from the company town, and they make those kind of devices there. So Varian is going to know, for example, he's going to be better than other characters at dealing with merchants, because he's from the company town. But if you put Varian in a situation where he has to deal with, again, I'll go to the example of a church, right? He doesn't know shit about church. He knows that when the whistle blows, you have to be at your station. I, uh, so he might understand order, and everyone going to church when the bell rings. Oh, everybody has to go to church. The bell's ringing. This makes perfect sense to Varian, right? <laughs> But what happens in there is alien. Yeah, that's all going to be totally incomprehensible. He's going to be, he's going to go into the church and like start fixing the pews and think that's the right move. You know what else the factory town needs? The company town needs somebody who sits there reading the news. Sure, maybe there's an announcer there, right? And, and I don't want to force a transatlantic landing accent on the GM, but I feel like that's a, that's a potential touch. Production is down. We're going to need you to step it up, boys. That kind of thing. I do like the idea of some type of visual tag that is easily collected and, or, you know, accumulated so you can have multiple of them that, regardless of language barrier, et cetera, is always recognizable as permissions, location origin, that kind of stuff, just so on site people can get a a sense of... Right. I think whatever system you run in this, it's important that everybody have at least one thing that relates to where they come from and that you know that everyone knows where they came from. Because that, too, also allows for when there's the tag that no one else has ever seen before or set of them. An ambassador comes off the train bearing you know, regalia and symbols and emblems for a place that has never been right. known before. That's a big deal. <laughs> That's a whole bunch of what? That's a guy we don't recognize. What's up with that? And, yeah, and maybe the train arrives at a time it never has before. Maybe at closing time in the company town, a train regularly, maybe not every day, but regularly shows up that goes to Burning Knife Mountain because what they're making in the company town is useful to the space engineers of Burning Knife Mountain. And so they're used to whatever the inhabitants of Burning Knife Mountain are for you know whatever value of inhabitants you want to use. It's probably robots, if I was going to guess. Mm-hmm. But it might not be. Could be golems. Could be something else, right? Something that doesn't complain about melting. Right. But then when a train shows up at the company town and has a bunch of elves with harps, this is a problem for them. They don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I do feel like in the way these locations are situated, there's the sense that they're doing these things because it's what you're supposed to do here. Yeah. No, I mean, the, all of these locations, I mean, I won't say that nobody questions the organization there because that doesn't make any sense. Right. But they're yeah. organized along understandable lines, or at least the ones where people are from. Okay. Your like weird and incomprehensible locations are probably just not going to have any characters from them that aren't controlled by the GM as a or as a basic assumption, right? Maybe okay in in your game, I want to play a guy from Burning Knife Mountain, so I know that's a spaceship, and I'm all and I'm all like, oh, be honest, you want to play space baller? No, I actually probably don't. Maybe I want to spend play one of these poor guys who has to go around getting spaceship materials from all of these ignorant savages. Okay, yeah, you would play that. 
Right. That, that's that's a character concept I could see myself, or actually lots of other people, really working with. If you were from Burning Knife Mountain, and it really was a spaceship's launch site. Okay. It would be interesting because questions would arise as to well, what is space? And right, you'd you'd, you'd have this whole like completely useless in ninety percent of this this settings environments canon of knowledge, and it would just sound like you were crazy to the majority of people from the majority of places. I know you haven't watched Kipo, but there's the basic premise is that we accidentally created mutant human animal hybrids, and they took over. And at one point, the main character finds a bunch of wolves who are dedicated to astronomy. And they, they do rap battles and sing about the wonders of space and, you know, astrophysics. Sure, that's sound logic. Yeah, and she's just sitting there going, uh, <laughs> utterly useless to her everyday existence. But they're they're completely dedicated to it. They have the most advanced telescopes. So, you know, if I'm playing that guy, I got to be honest, probably he's a uh, propulsion expert, which of course means that he's going to blow things up all the time elsewhere. And that's my mechanical purpose, Right. But thematically, I don't really understand what's going on if you're not building a rocket, quite frankly. And importantly, we'll have answered the question of what happens if someone blows right. up the track. because eventually that guy's gone. Right, and then the conductor's taken away. Maybe. It's certainly possible. <laughs> <laughs> Something inevitably happens, right. yeah. That would be a totally logical outcome of blowing up some train tracks in this setting. Actually, no. The, 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 and more interesting consequence, the train just stops because <laughs> you blow up the tracks. But nobody repairs right. it. Nobody the fixes the tracks. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't they coming? Well, now we're stuck here unless we're willing to walk. Yeah. And then that, there's that second, those secondary questions of why aren't they putting it back together? Don't the conductors fix these things normally? Do they ever? I've never seen them fix tracks. Right. Exactly. So now, now we're in a good space. I think this is good. So light locations are usually bigger than dark locations which definitely does not preclude like a dark three, the chasm of unending despair or something. Don't go there. (laughs) The chasm of unending despair is just a giant one person amphitheater. It's probably huge, but again, unending despair. Don't go there. (laughs) You know? And so this also gives you some leeway to, um, provided the conductors are upfront about where the trains go. Right. Let the players mm-hmm. decide what kind of game they're having. Well, I think, honestly, like the conductors would probably, to some extent, speak certain tags of places. Right. What's it like? Oh, oh well, well, this you know, goes to the uh, company uh, town. Uh, I don't think the conductors even worry about per- place names. I think they just tell you, like, generally what the location is in conductor logic. Right. And so then maybe those places had names, but it was irrelevant because it's whatever. Well, if I'm from the company town, I know that it's actually called Smithburg or whatever. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the conductors call it the company town, so that's what everybody calls it. And on the maps, it's labeled the company town. Yeah, it might even be labeled Smithburg, comma the company town. You know, right? But I think I think I think basically because of the way this setting is connected, people are going to take the conductor's word for most things, which also raises a set of interesting questions. <laughs> I think there obviously has to be the. You know the red, the scarlet letter for people who aren't allowed on trains anymore, of some kind, because somebody's going to get banished or exiled from the trains for something. Sure, yes. Or there, there at least has to be the the, the fable of it. Because... There's definitely a story about it. That's for certain. And there might be lots of different stories about how you get kicked off the train. Every place has its own stories for what gets you kicked off the train. Maybe not every place, but I would guess lots of them do. Right. That's what I mean. Like enough of them. You know, the village way off in the nether is perhaps not. But Right. At the company town, right, Alan got cu- got cut off from the train line because he was late to work, t- for, to work too many times. Right, where Smithy blew up the right. tracks. He blew up the tracks. He's not allowed on the trains no more. That's not even a story. That guy probably is out there somewhere and very unhappy. Also, there aren't any trains anymore. We're sad about this. That, that guy's probably out there somewhere where, there ain't, where the trains don't go. In fact, yes, I suspect there's probably a boogeyman who is literally trying to destroy the trains. And there's stories of this guy, and like finding him could be a whole campaign by itself. Absolutely, because the conductors would probably give you some great reward. Uh, sure, or also maybe you want to destroy the trains because you've learned something horrible about the conductors. Right. So you want to find this guy who's clearly got it figured out as far as getting that done. Then you're then you're playing the rebellion effectively, where you you are against the powers that be trying to bring down the system. But I think there's only like three things that the, the conductors do: they run the trains. They don't make problems, generally, right? You know, not by themselves, anyway. (laughs) And occasionally, they don't let you on the train. That's it. 
those are the three things that conductors do. Which I think is, you know, gives you three effectively moves, regardless of system you can always have on hand for the interact with the conductor. Here are your options. Yeah, no ticket. Okay, sure. <laughs> and off we go. Those are the three moves the conductors would have in a Dungeon World context. Right. It might even be something as simple as where your tags. You know, off tags, got to wait. We've had friends in college who had to, in traveling through Europe, go back a country or two to find their passports because they got on transportation that didn't require until you get to it. So that's actually a cool thing, it occurs to me, that you could do. If you were trying to make a game for this setting, you wouldn't have a character sheet. You'd have a passport. It would still be a character sheet, but, you know, you get what I'm saying, right? There's another game I'm forgetting. I think Freeport, it might be called Freeport, where you play what is very obviously not the Americana 1950s town you think it is, but you get something similar, which is your citizen ID. I don't think it's called Freeport. I think I've heard of this too. Yeah, but it's, you, you don't get a class. You get right. your job, your responsibilities, and other so stuff. So I think no matter what system you try to run this in, you need to get back to that idea of a passport as being either part of character creation or part of advancement or both. Right, because you could be crazy in each region you go into as a different system. You could even try to do that if you wanted to be a complete wang about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a headache. Did you bring the character sheet for that engine? Right. Uh, well, okay. So today we're in Pathfinder. I hope you have. <laughs> I hope you've elaborated your character sheet substantially. <laughs> My character doesn't translate. Right. Oh. But like you know, the the company town guy who is uh, is an engineer, right? He's going to accumulate a passport over time, right? So he's going to go to Burning Knife Mountain, and he might learn. And his Burning Knife Mountain stamp might be explosives knowledge, because I mean, again, we're trying to make a Final Fantasy engineer. Right, or it might be flamethrower. God help us. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All, all, all his fire capabilities are just labeled flamethrower. No, like you, you leave the company town with the, you know, within the company town, you learned how to make a nail gun or a chainsaw or whatever. Okay, and then you leave Burning Knife Mountain, and by the time you're done at Burning Knife Mountain, not even when you leave, you get these things. Actually, you, no, you, you know what happens because you've got the passport. When you get to the next region, they look at your tags and they've got to translate some of them. So it might be engineer at Burning Knife Mountain. And then when he gets into a next region, it's just, yeah, okay. Right. Or then you go to the the festival village, which is a medieval type of area where they're having a party all the time. And your passport Mm -hmm. gets stamped with Tinker instead. And now you can repair stuff, which wasn't a skill you necessarily had in mind to get, but at least is within the galaxy of this character's idea. I like it, because then there's a kind of weird metaphysical realm to, but, but you do effectively play off of your, this is weirdly kind of a hybridization of both Planescape and Ravenloft there. Yeah. Because you're, you're effectively touching upon the powers of the realms or the planes and how they alter you. Right. I agree. I, yeah. And, and yet, you know, generally speaking, interacting with either of those was a very high level or expensive, right, far end of the system in those settings, whereas here you probably want to front light it. I agree because you're looking at you're looking at systems lights and mechanics right. to begin with. So, how how do people here see? Yeah. You? So if I'm, I already forgot what I called him. I think it started with Varian the engineer, right? Yeah. If, if Varian the engineer has gone and become and gained flamethrower and tinker in these other places he's been, right? And then you go to the cavern of eternal despair. I don't know what he gets in the cavern of eternal despair. Oh, obviously Firefly. Sure. Maybe he gets maybe he gets floodlight there. Right. You know, but yes. like you get the point. Right. You have to think about it once you arrive. Oh, shoot. What do, what can I do now? I think it's interesting because that makes the tags both a narrative thing, but also mechanical. Right. Where they stay with you even after you leave. And if you're playing a system where instead things are not based in tags. Right. If you're playing equipment based system, you don't get the flamethrower tag. You literally acquire a flamethrower at Burning Knife Mountain. Right. Now you have that. That's that's with you as long as you're there. One of the nice things about a lot of these types of systems is that, I, hell, I did this in the 5e game because I'm playing uh, variant on a warlock. I just refluffed the invocations to other stuff. Right. So the important thing here is that basically one way or another, character development, advancement, whatever you're calling it, should be structured around where the character is at the moment, what they can, what they can learn there, what they need to do there, no matter what system you're in. That kind of makes the journey and the experience the narrative baseline. And since this is probably still, like we were saying earlier, on some level, a problem-solving or investigating game, because why did I come to Burning Knife Mountain? What am I trying to do here? There 
might be, if we were developing it, this is the system and I were in charge of it, there definitely would be, but there might be some separation between skills that you roll and things you acquire in places. So I, I think this kind of stuff changes depending upon the... It depends on the system. But it's the context you have to think about it in. Like, ultimately, Varian, although right. he's accumulating all this cool stuff as he travels around, is staying good at shooting people and fixing things, right? Because that's that's the core of what he does. One of the things we did running, say, the Academy World game, I, I, I'm not big on giving magical treasure out because you end up looking like a Christmas tree. I'm fine with that, but I understand. There are games where that's fun. I just don't like running them. But at one point, Dave said, I really want to be able to fly. So I looked at the other playbooks, and there were flying moves. And I went, okay, get the stuff you need to be able to earn that. And when he achieved it, he earned that bonus move. As you know, I can fly, but sometimes it doesn't work well. And there are consequences. And the others had that up. So I, I basically gave, I don't want to call them free moves, but there were things that were just true about them. And then to your point, there were things they had to try to do. It's not possible within the scope of this conversation to fit that in every system. But the goal in this setting is, is to keep a very clear eye on character advancement being related to this passport concept. Because I think that keeps you in a theme that is particular to the setting and not a game. Here's how the world defines you and how your actions through it accrue. Yeah, I think that's actually very good. I think that gives you a solid core of things to do. I think you now want to look at what your five or six, you know, basically stable locations are. I'm assuming the company town will make that cut because that's an easy one for people to wrap their head around. Burning Knife Mountain might not. Yeah, I, I think those two connect well. Those two connect well between themselves. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but you you never played the near series of games, right? Uh, I played some of the one where you are the old guy. Okay, so the original Nier, not Replicant. Right. I, 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 I bought that or rented that for the Xbox and tried to play it and became very confused and put it down and never came back. <laughs> Yoko Taro was good at that. Well, it wasn't even that. It was it was not a good enough version of the game that it appeared to be, which is to say an old dude running wild on dudes with scavenged weapons, for me to want to find out what was going on. The Replicant version, which is the remastered one, seems to be the much better narrative structure to it. The reason I bring it up, the map on that one is... I, I forget if any of the places have actual names. There's, there's the forest, there's the castle, and it's clear that these are, you know, not what they were. But the they're recognizable enough concepts as a baseline to everyone there that they know that the village is a village, the town is a town. Yeah, and I think you want to work with, within kind of that same space here. And like I said, I think everywhere probably ultimately has a boss in this, but they, the players mm -hmm. don't necessarily need to see every one of them. No, the boss's influence can should be felt, but you don't have to have a... Unless, unless you're really just stirring stuff to stir stuff, you, you shouldn't be going after Father uh, Waitley, from my earlier example, right? Yeah, not in the village, no, because then... All you, all you got to do if you're passing through the village is stay on his good side, and he's never a problem. Mm -hmm. And he's not necessarily, he might, but he's not necessarily going to insert himself into the players' lives and make them difficult. Right, so for instance, you pass through the town, you help them press wine maybe father whiteley doesn't stick a tag on to you that is usurper maybe he's used to migrant laborers in the town and he's just like okay fine did, did they make the wine did they make any problems great leave them alone they can leave yep <laughs> you don't even get a tag you're just right. here for a moment maybe he doesn't even think about you if you operate within the context that his little world works in so then it suggests that the tags are sometimes a whereas if you go to burning knife mountain and you try to sabotage the launch you're going to have a problem. I think your new tag at that point is fuselage. I, I, yeah, it might be. Uh, you're going to have a problem is the bottom line. I, I like the idea of making the tags overt because that makes the tools apparent and usable. Well, I think, I think maybe you can have obvious tags and secret tags for these locations. Well, yeah, like locations particularly should have a lot of should have secret tags that can emerge based upon actions or... Like, the village is obviously a village, okay? So, you know, they have great cooks, let's say, okay? Mm -hmm. And maybe this since this, this place is being led by Father Waitley, and it sounds like it, they're very pious there, okay? When my folks went to Italy years ago, there was a part of the coast they traveled through where there were no restaurants. You just came outside during dinner time, and all the locals brought out tables and put their food on the table. Oh, man. And someone at a little, you know, like, gate 
charged you an entrance fee and you went and picked up what you wanted. Just a communal potluck everywhere. Right. Maybe they have that going on at this village. And I'm, I imagine what they do is they distributed the funds accordingly afterwards. But the the village you are fed well is a tag. Something like yeah, that. Great food here. <laughs> you know, something like that. Right. For a different take on the village, maybe it's suspiciously good food. And Father Waitley's not in charge, but Grandma Zelda is. And we don't want to ask too much about Grandma Zelda's cooking. But that's if we wanted to go dark. One of my favorite things about the new Sabrina, which I didn't like some of, the her two aunts who are, are dedicated. They're delightful because they're still your most religious aunts. They're just dedicated to the devil and to, you know, having potlucks for the devil. And one of them is the classic Southern build on, you know, another is the, the, the British version who bakes pies and everything, but also is very knowledgeable about brews and rituals, curses and cannibalism. She's, she's that witch. <laughs> yeah. The village could be like that where they're all very nice. So long as you don't upset them. So long as you don't cross them. Right. It, it yeah. could be that, or even they could all be very nice most of the time. And you really have to get on their nerves. Maybe Father Waitley is like really tolerant. If this is not meant to be a dangerous place, maybe you know, it can be that. It's okay. But that's that's a that's a place with a certain internal logic that people will, will pick up pretty quickly. Maybe the secret tag for the village is that Father Waitley is not actually in charge. Right. He's just the figurehead. Right. Maybe it is instead a dryad, okay, who uh, is the spirit of a big old oak that Father Waitley tries to prevent outsiders from messing with by presenting this extremely religious front in the village. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Not me. Go whatever direction you want. But, like, just as an example, maybe at the company town, okay, the secret tag is that I don't even know. You'd think I would have one. Actually, they're nice guys is the secret of the company town. I, I think sometimes you play it straight and there is no secret tag. But, you know, like, actually, they're nice guys. You know, everybody has to go to work when the whistle blows and so on. But life's OK. Maybe these people are actually living the dream of, of being an American factory worker in the 50s. And that's what they like. And that's perhaps weird. To... And, and that's fine. Right. And, you know, maybe that's what's going on. It would be weird. No one would expect that narratively. Maybe Screaming Chasm is the entrance to the Cavern of Despair. And the people there are fine with it. Yeah, maybe maybe nobody really minds the screaming because it happens, you know, regularly and they've gotten used to it. Like you might to say a real life train that goes by your house. It's unlikely. Or they like the sound of it, which is even weirder. But... Well, if they like the sound of it, that that implies some much darker things. But yes, <laughs> you've got a range of possibilities. Maybe there's only a couple secret tags. Maybe the place is big and isn't actually what it appears to be on the surface or like the surface ecology supports something much more you've got to think because the state the trains the trains do go underground so there are probably underground stations too there are almost certainly underground stations and now things could begin to get really weird down there yeah you could have effectively whole mirror towns and cities right. i think basically complexity is a function of size of the area yeah okay and also degree of light or dark affinity of the area and I actually think you have more complexity closer to neutral. Because it allows for more variance within it. Right, exactly. I think a, a light, you know, an in-tier light or dark location is probably not very complicated. It might be big, but it's probably just whatever it is. So this is, this is from Wanderhome, another tool I like where they have location descriptors that you can very quickly add categories onto. And the very last set is desolations. Could be a wasteland, could be a battlefield, but it feels like effectively too light or dark is is close as close to the void as you can get. One way or another, whatever's going on in a very light or very dark location is probably unsafe. Not necessarily unsafe in the sense of everybody is threatened by it, but like right. you don't want to be there unless you are of there. Likewise, there there are simple places like so I would actually I would probably use as a baseline when running stuff, regardless of system. I would use the horizons location setting rules, and I would use probably the specific place scene setting stuff from Wanderhome as very easy baselines to go. Okay, these are this is these are the kinds of oh, there we go. So what I would take not what I'd take and assign to light or dark here under valence mm -hmm. is from like the Wanderhome table. Desolation is plus three or minus three. Mm -hmm. You know, liminal space is. Sometimes it's probably one or two, or you know, it's almost basically two or three. Neutral zones would be the starting places, inns, villages. Sure. And that's probably 
as a baseline way to run the game, the correct way to do it. Right. And those are obviously not exhaustive. Those are just, here's the kinds of things that are here. Right. If you wanted to have people be from the Cavern of Endless Despair, that's a really different game. Then you're playing some version of Wraith. Not necessarily. Maybe you escaped. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you don't want to go back, but forces from the Cavern of Endless Despair are coming for your ass. And that's the game. Oh, God, that's paranoia. That's paranoia. Yeah, it's sort of paranoia with sort of the fugitive baked into it. It could be interesting, to be honest. Maybe where you're from sucks and you just don't want to go back. But unfortunately for you, because it's such a big and powerful and influential location, you pretty much have to leave town every time the ambassador shows up. I think that's a fun character hook. Yeah. See, that could be cool. Yeah. Yeah, where a character brings it up. So the ambassador shows up. It's a neat thing for everybody but that character is going, oh. Right. And I don't think the players, there there doesn't need to be a rule about this, but I don't think the players have to tell each other where they're from. So maybe five sessions in, I'm playing a guy who's acting from the Cavern of Endless Despair. Sure. And the ambassador shows up and my character goes, oh, shit, we have to leave. So I think importantly, the only person you have to show your tags to it, is the conductor. Yeah, right. The conductor has to see your passport, and the DM has to know what you, what your character is about. In fact, in, within this setting, the DM is obviously called the conductor or the chief conductor or something. But outside of that, you might be able to, if you're traveling within a region and not on the trains much, Right. people might not know a lot of things on you until it's chips on the table. Right, unless you're trying to make it obvious. You know, like Varian the Engineer, provided he's willing to dress like a local and not carry his chainsawed flamethrower really openly, could pass anywhere. But he probably won't. That's the kind of character that's going to stick out. Where did Edgar keep those? It's unclear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have a canonical answer. I'm probably happier that we don't. Yeah, it's probably for the best. Or like in Stars Without Number, the idea of world tags, where you get a couple of world tags for each planet, and those are the dominant themes of that planet, but also other stuff is happening there. I'm surprised it wasn't just called hats. Yeah, you could you could call it hats, but that sort of implies that <laughs> locations are people. And that, that, that gets weird. Yeah, I know. So I think that's that's a pretty solid start, I think, on your what if I had an interchangeable setting idea. I like it. It's fluid enough and we have a a base engine, literally, to run everything on. Because the, the thing I was looking at when I saw the initial notes was there's there's connective tissue missing here that Yeah. Gives the space for all of this to exist in. Right. And again, so your your characters from the Village of Children game were probably existing in a big space. Right. A big open space. Right. Possibly even so big that they didn't know where the train stations were. The, the only thing they saw was a stretch of tracks. Exactly. So my guess is they're probably way out, like in plus two since it was light. Sure. They might be way out there. They might be in a very big, low light area. It doesn't really matter. The point is... Wherever they're at, it's way out of the way relative to the core of the setting. They're at the second to last stop on the trains or whatnot. Right. So if I was you, I would invent the questions to create the table around. And I would have another one of these sessions where we actually tried to make the core of the place. In a specific region? Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. And I would get a couple more people involved in that. But I would actually like to do that. That would be fun for me. Yeah, I would want to do that as a panel. I think we'd... Let's, since we've thrown out there, let's do the ones you outlined earlier in the episode, the city, the village, the forest. Right, that kind of thing. Burning knife, yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, you can you can do those, you can do things along those themes. I think the company town, like I said, is a nice stable. Everybody will be able to get this. It's not a complicated setting, mm-hmm. one to include, but you could do others. I, I, whatever emerges, too, but we'd start off with the baselines and then... Company town, village, burning knife, mountain, build from there, you know? Those are three pretty solid ones we sort of half created here. And then we'd have smaller places on there. I would probably uh, have the tables available to us. Again, I'd, I'd write the questions, not the tables. I think that's better if you're going to do a panel discussion. No, I don't, I wasn't going to write the tables. I was, I meant the specifically like the scene stuff we can pull from, from Wonder. Oh, sure. The, yeah. You'd want that available for everybody. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. And that way we can just go, oh, you know, well, that's a that's a forest. That's a maze. Here are the right, because there's like a million ways to do what is this location over a wide variety of games. And that's fine. But specifically trying to create ones that are within the rules of a setting normal is actually kind of a thing that we don't do much in role playing games. We mostly try to create weird or exciting locations. You need that juxtaposition between the ordinary 
If you can define what is normal, you can let everybody who runs a game define what isn't. That's okay. I think that's fine. It's 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 an interesting challenge in a way. It's why it's you know we started the Academy World game at the school. They stayed there for two two and a half sessions, and then immediately said, "Let's go out into the world after doing right." And after two and a half sessions, you knew what the deal was at the Academy, and now you can go look at the world that produced it. Right, and the Academy always stayed as like the baseline that they go back to occasionally. Because that's what you're looking for here. You're looking for a baseline set of stations, or um, call it a base a base railway line, even within the con- within the context of this. Yeah, baseline. Literally, it's what's the what track are you on? Yep, on on the track that everything else branches off of. What's there? Yeah, and that gives you a region that can be mapped off of. And, and since the trains are effectively infinite, right. There could be any number of trains. They might go anywhere, which is, again, one of your core assumptions here. They probably go somewhere you've already heard of. They might not. Yeah, I would I would use the, the George Carlin invites you to never wear sparingly because that's a... I would only use that at the beginning of a game or after a crisis during a game. Right, where suddenly it's, okay, we could stay here or... Or we could just go with this guy. He seems cool. Wherever seems better than here. Right. I think, for example, to roll back to the I'm secretly from the, you know, Cavern of Endless Despair, if the ambassador shows up and so does a mystery train, my character gets on it, even if everybody else doesn't. Wonder Home would also be a good pickup engine for this because it doesn't require people to be in any session. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally designed for whoever's there this time. Yeah, I think you could build this out to, to service a variety of games, but you, you should start with one that is interested in traveling or is interested in tags or is interested in investigating depending on what you want to focus on i would i would choose one of those three as an initial test i think probably the right way to come at this from my perspective as a gm okay Mm -hmm. is actually from a gumshoe system game i would want the characters to go to a place figure out whatever it was they came to figure out and then leave like, that would be this game I would run. Right, like a couple episodes, investigative journey. Right, like you go to the village. Now we're here to figure out what's going on in the village because we are looking for such and such a thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we find it, we leave. That would be the game I would run, just as like a basic structure. You would not run that game, I already know it, don't try to tell me otherwise. No, I, I'm not familiar enough with the gumshoe to do that. Well, even if it, even if it weren't gumshoe, you wouldn't run a game where you go there, you solve a mystery, you leave. It's just not what you do. Monster of the Week could also work as an engine for that. Dave would run that. You go there, you beat a thing, you leave. I don't think yeah. I'd want to run Monster of the Week as written in this system. No. But you could definitely get it here. Yeah, I, I, I was a framework of the system itself, which is investigative. Wonder Home, I would say for later, because it's structured to not stay in a place. You would probably rather tell a story about people moving around this place, if I was going to guess. I'm not 100% sure. I I kind of want to play it instead, too. There's that also. As much as I love running these things, there's a point in my life where I kind of enjoy sometimes just being the character in it and discovering what that's all about. A good story can excite us, yes. But the best ones, fiction or not, compel, inspire, or drive us toward the hope that we need for a better life. Remember, you don't need to know everything right now, but you do need to write. So make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us at Here Be Tigers. And until next time, take life by the tail.